Good morning, friends. How are you? I hope you're well. Uh, if we have not met, my name is Charlie Salomone, lead pastor here, and we've been doing a series on uh, what is known as the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, 9 through 13. Let's go ahead and read it. Uh, we, can, we can read it together, uh, as you might know this. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So my hope with doing the Lord's Prayer as a series is that more and more the reason why Jesus told us to pray this would become real in our lives, we'd understand it more, and when we prayed this prayer, it would be with understanding and uh, we would be uh, connecting with just what Jesus wants us to, to know and feel as we go through this. Last week... We looked at uh, the very first couple words, our Father. Uh, this week, um, I guess really just the next two words. We're going to go quicker. We're not just going to go two words at a time. <laughs> but uh, for now, our Father in heaven. So last week, our Father. This week, the focus in heaven. And there's actually um, some things being communicated with those two phrases. Uh, theologians might call it, uh, imminence and transcendence, those are kind of fancy words, which basically means our Father, meaning Father, someone who is close to us. God is personal. He's very close to us. But then um, in heaven kind of speaks to the, uh, the transcendent part where he is, he's, he's above us. He's higher than us. Uh, so... We'll dive into this a little bit. Heaven in the Bible actually means a couple of things. It means the place where God dwells. Yes, of course. And it also means when they would speak of the heavens, it would be like when you, you know, when you look up, everything you see, the heavens. And those are two different things, but they're not disconnected in the sense of when you go outside and you look up, and you, especially at night, and you think everything is so big and far and vast, it's supposed to communicate to us something about God, something about the greatness and, and, and the vast just um, bigness, I almost want to say, of who God is. I don't even really have a word for it. It's just, it's too much. To kind of see where I'm heading with this, uh, look at this verse. You might be familiar with it. Isaiah chapter 55, beginning verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And hear this. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So here he's saying... As high as everything is, when you look up, and it's pretty high, that's how much higher my ways are than your ways. Now, 
I gave this some thought this week, <laughs> this idea of how like the sky and the heavens, how it communicates something to us and how it's higher than us. And it's kind of a recent phenomenon in our house that we have a, a 24-7 loop uh, about the galaxies and the solar systems and uh, I have a seven-year-old boy and if you want to have a very long conversation, go to him and ask him something about the planets or whatever and you'll hear lots of facts, lots and lots. And I understand that when this was written, the people, when they looked up in the sky and they thought, wow, that's big, they were right, yeah, it's big. But with, you know, science and technology and stuff, we know a little bit more about how big everything is when we look up. And I just thought I'd share some of these facts that I'm getting played, you know, on a loop. I gathered some of them for all of you. Uh, this is interesting, very interesting. So you guys are probably familiar with what is known as a light year. It's, it's not a measurement of time. It's a measurement of distance, a light year. Light travels at 299,792 kilometers a second. So about 300,000 kilometers a second. Cruising at that speed for a whole year. We're already, it's already past me. It's already like, that's... Cruising at that speed for a whole year, it's about 9 trillion kilometers. So if you take off from here, cruising at light speed, in 4.2 years, you're going to get to the first star other than the sun. It's, known, it's, it's called Proxima Centauri. It's 4.2 light years away, 39 trillion kilometers. And that's the closest star. The closest star is 39 trillion kilometers. And that's about, on average, how far the stars are from each other. Actually, most stars are a little farther than that from each other. So just, just give, you, give you a sense. Now, of course, we are in a galaxy. A galaxy is a cluster of stars. We're in a galaxy known as, you probably know, the Milky Way. And in the Milky Way, how many stars are there? Uh, NASA says about 100 billion. Other astronomers say as many as 400 billion. 400 billion stars, each one of them about five light years away from each other. Okay, that's, that's big. Um, we're, again, we're already really dealing with numbers and ideas and a vastness that we just can't, can't wrap our mind around. 100 billion stars all that far away from each other. That's just our galaxy. Let's cruise out of there. Um, the next galaxy over is called Canis Major, about 25,000 light years away. Canis Major. That is known as a dwarf galaxy. So it's just a little one. It has a measly billion stars in it. So it's just a small, tiny, little galaxy with a billion stars, each one of them about five light years away from each other. Go a little farther, eventually you're going to get to the next significant galaxy, the, the, the closest spiral galaxy to ours. You've probably heard of that also, the Andromeda galaxy. 
That's 2.5 million light years away, and it contains approximately a trillion stars. Once more, each of these stars, how far away from each other they are, this is, this is vast. Uh, and then I started asking, how many of these galaxies with their billions or trillions of stars are there in the universe? And the answer is, who knows? Uh, NASA, um, uh, 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 there was a time when they thought there were about 100 billion galaxies. Now uh, NASA says there's probably about 10 times that many. So I don't know. Trillion galaxies. Uh, here's one fact that I read a while ago that I thought was really interesting. If you take all the grains of sand on planet Earth, each one of those grains of sand, there's about 10,000 stars for. So the point of all that is pretty much right from the beginning, right when I started talking about light years, we're already dealing with numbers and vastness that is beyond our comprehension. And when the Bible says that as far as the heavens are above the earth, so much my ways are above your ways, my thoughts are above your thoughts, when we pray our Father in heaven, we are recognizing you're smarter than me. <laughs> okay? You're greater than me. You know more than me. Um, as much he is a father, he is close to us, and, and he loves us, and he is in heaven, meaning he's above us. And that's supposed to speak to us. And there's a lot of implications about what it means that God is in heaven and we're on earth. And we're going to explore some of that. But primarily, I want to see what God is saying when he brings this up in Isaiah 55. You've probably heard it before. My, my thoughts are above your way. You know, if you hang out at church and you read your Bible and such, you probably have heard that before. Um, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Um, but in context, there's, there's some specific points that God's trying to make when he says this in Isaiah 55. So we're going to walk through this, and my prayer is that we would get a... a we would get more of an understanding and just more of a heart knowledge that God is in heaven and we're on earth and what that means. So I'm going to pray to that end. Father God, I pray that your greatness, the vastness of who you are in comparison to us, Lord, you would give us more of a knowledge of that and we would be able to relate with you with that in mind in the way that you would desire and in a way that would benefit us. And Lord, I pray that, uh, that you would guide my words and it would be beneficial for all of us to just refresh us in your truth and to encourage us and to strengthen us and that your will would be done, Lord. Uh, we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, so God's bigger than us. He's greater than us. He's higher than us. Um, and he tells us that in Isaiah 55. But let's walk through the whole chapter and we'll see. We'll come back to this very passage, but let's just see the point that he's trying to make uh, when he says, I'm greater than you. My, my, I'm higher than you. So Isaiah 55, beginning verse 1. It goes like this. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, 
Listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. So right away, uh, there's actually something that is missing. I, I, I think I know why. But uh, in the translation, there's a word that's just skipped. And, and I think it's because... Maybe the translators just didn't know what to do with it. Um, before it says, come all you are thirsty, thirsty, what it says in Hebrew is oi, um, which is almost always translated woe, which is kind of like a, um, well, I actually like oi. Oi is, is used. Uh, you know, you'll hear it. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Monique is Jewish. I, I see her smiling, laughing. Uh, because that's an expression that, that, that people use, right? Oy vey, oy vey. And it's usually like an expression of like dismay, like, uh, like, like a negative, like oy vey, like this is, this is not good. And actually in the book of Isaiah, I counted like 20 times before you get to chapter 55 where you have that Hebrew word and it's translated, whoa. And it's talking about something bad, something negative, sin. It's talking about the sin of people. And the expression is like, whoa, oy vey, uh, this is serious, this is bad. But then when you get to chapter 55, you have that same word, oy, oy vey. And, uh, well, the shocking thing is, it's not. And I think that's why the translators just kind of left it out, because they didn't totally know what to do with it. But there is a point being made here. You're supposed to be shocked at Isaiah 55. The message of Isaiah 55 is supposed to shock you, but not with how awful the truth is, but in contrast, it's to God's reaction to all the woes, all the oys that have come before. Here we have God's reaction, and it's supposed to shock you because it's not what you'd expect. Um, you're supposed to be shocked by by mercy and by grace. And actually, I would say this. If you're not shocked by the mercy and the grace that's laid out in the Bible and in the message of the gospel, I fear that you don't understand it. That's a big reason why I wanted us to walk through the book of Genesis together, which we did, because it's one of the things you see. You have all these sinners who at times are behaving awfully, terribly, and God's reaction to these sinners, the, the special family of God, is he just blesses them. They react very, very poorly. And God blesses them. And it's shocking. It's just not what you expect. And that's the message because that's what he does for his special family, for those who are in covenant with him. It's a very surprising thing. It's, it's blessing, and here is the invitation. Oi, oi vey, oi. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. The repeated word is come, come, come. But what's shocking, what's surprising, what doesn't make sense is that it's all free. As you keep reading here, it talks about come and eat the richest of fare. It's talking about a feast, a great feast, a great banquet. And it's all free. And that's shocking because that doesn't make sense because nothing's free in this world. That's what they say. There's no such thing as a free lunch. 
You ever hear that expression? They say there's always a catch, there's always something. People who are rich don't just give away their riches totally for free. But here that's what's happening. And when he says come and buy without cost, without money, without cost, what that's talking is about um, you don't need to have a, a moral prerequisite. As in, this invitation isn't, isn't for people who've earned it. It's not for people with merit. It's for all the people that we've read about earlier in the book of Isaiah where there is 20 times where it says, whoa, whoa, these people are doing this, whoa, whoa. That's who it's for. That's, that's for us, the people who have, have done things and lived life where the reaction is off, often, whoa, oi, uh, let's live that life, oi. Um, well, you can come, it's for free. You don't, need to have, you don't need to have your life cleaned up. Come, come, come. Uh, that's what it's saying. And the, uh, well, this is actually worth saying too. So are we saying that there's no condition at all? Anyone can come, anyone can come. Yes, but there's kind of a condition. There kind of isn't, there kind of is. Um, let me explain it. What it says here right in the beginning, um, it says, come, all you who are thirsty. Jesus actually said that also. He stood up at a great feast, which is clearly connecting with this idea of a great feast. Jesus was at a feast, and he stood up, and he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. That's, that's kind of a condition. It kind of isn't, and let me explain. The condition is that you're spiritually thirsty. It's not that you need to be thirsty because everyone's invited. It's not that you can't come if you're not thirsty. But the sad truth is you won't. It's not that you can't come to him. It's just that you won't come to him. Um, and that's the pattern you see in the Bible. That's the pattern you see in the life of Jesus. That's why Jesus said, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The idea is, blessed are those who understand that they need me, who feel the weight of sin and desire mercy and forgiveness and who want a relationship with God. Blessed are those people who are thirsty because they're going to be satisfied. Um, anyone can come, but it seems to be that if someone's not thirsty, they don't come. But here in the text, here in the scripture, God is speaking, and he's speaking to all of us, and he's trying to make us thirsty. Because the truth is, we're dying of thirst, but we don't always feel it. We don't always know it. It's kind of like he's trying to tell us that we should be thirsty. It's kind of, uh, why do you spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what doesn't satisfy the life you're living, it doesn't satisfy. Don't you, don't you see you're thirsty? Understand that you're thirsty. Understand that the life you're living apart from him isn't working out. Uh, I got some sad news this week, some real sad news. An old friend of mine, someone I used to hang out with back when I was a young man, I found out from one of my other old friends uh, that he died of an overdose. It's, it's, a, it's become a pandemic recently 
He died of an overdose, and I actually, I didn't even know that he had gone down that road. I hadn't talked to him in a while. I hadn't heard what was going on in his life. But my friend told me that, yeah, he, he'd been living homeless for the last six years, and, and this, is a, this was a smart guy. I knew him back in, I knew him back uh, in college, and he actually got into the best college in the state. Um... He had been living homeless for six years, and my friend said, like, there was a bunch of times where, like, he went to talk to him and tried to, like, pleaded with him to, to go and get some help and to leave the life he was living, but he didn't want that change in his life. He didn't, he didn't want to change. He was, he was sadly content enough living homeless as an addict. And we can all look at that and say, you should have been more thirsty for real happiness and contentment. We could all look at him and be like, why are you, why are you spending money on what's not bread and laboring for what does not satisfy? Like, don't you understand that that sort of life isn't really happiness? We can all understand that. That's what addiction does. But here's the truth that we have to swallow. Jesus said, everyone who sins becomes a slave to sin. And while not all of us are drug addicts, all of us are naturally sin addicts. And maybe it's not drugs that eat us away in a way that everyone can see, but there is, that's the nature of sin, of what it, what it does to us. It makes us live lives of chasing things that fail to satisfy and even as we see that they fail to satisfy, we still keep chasing it. I, I thought of uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and I'll actually come back to that passage soon. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says, those who love money will never be satisfied by money. That's just one of the things that people live for. But you can substitute the word money for really anything other than God. Those who make this the priority in life will never be satisfied by this. And sometimes the this is, is good things. Some people live for their children. And beloved, children are a great thing. I got five of them, all right? They'll keep you busy. There's some great things about children. You can't live for your children. Because if you do, that's an idol. We live for God. God has to be number one in our life. Um, if you live for your children, your children will never satisfy you. If you live for fill in the blank, fill in the blank will never satisfy you. But if God is on the throne and we're putting him first, then everything else can fall into place. So there's this pleading with sinners saying, don't you see that the way that you're doing it is not working out? But, but come to me, come to me, come to me, and, 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 and everything is forgiven, and I'll give you everything you need to satisfy, rich fare, meaning food that really does satisfy. So the repeated word in these three verses is come, 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 but there's another repeated word. Um, listen, listen, listen. Give ear, come to me and listen. These things are connected because it's very natural to, to say, what does it mean to, to come to God? On one hand, it means you cry out to him and you say, God, help me, save me. It's the simplest thing in the world. A child can do it. It just says, come, help me, help me, help me. But there's something else that's connected with it, and that's listen, listen. And this really connects with this whole idea of 
God is in heaven and we're on earth. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 that I mentioned a little bit ago. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 in the beginning, it says God is on earth. Or you're on earth and God is in heaven, so let your words be few. And what it means by that is if you look at like verse 1, it says when you draw near to God, when you come to God's house, listen. Don't offer the sacrifice of fools. Meaning don't come as a fool, but come with open ears. Let your words be few. Listen. And so really all that is trying to say, it doesn't mean that like when you pray, don't use a lot of words. But what it means is make sure you are listening before you're speaking. As in, if we're going to pray and we're going to seek God, that means we want to seek him as he is. That means to understand, hey, what I think naturally about God might not be true. What I naturally think is right and wrong also might not be true. The things that I feel so strongly might be wrong. Instead, what I should do is consider God and what he has said and listen to him. That's a huge part of humility, is understanding I could be wrong about some really big things. But God is smarter than me. God is wiser than me. God is higher than me. So listen. So, so there's an invitation to come and listen. It's a huge aspect of how we receive just all the life and the joy that God would like to give us. So God's in heaven, we're on earth, so we should listen to what he has to say with truly open ears. Um, verse 4, let's keep going. Isaiah 55, verse 4 says, See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. This verse has really been on my heart this week. I really am so happy about this. This idea, surely you will summon, you will call nations you don't know, and nations you do not know will come running to you. So this is spoken about Jesus, but it's also spoken about the church. Nations will come running to you. And this is just something I love about Westview. We are made up of so many different nations, so many people that have come from all over the world, now live in Montreal, and they all gather here together. And if you were here on Wednesday night, there's something just so beautiful about people from all the nations eating together. Um, it... There's just something about it that is just a foretaste of the kingdom of God. And this, being part of this mission to call. The thing that God wants to satisfy us with, in part, in this life, is a new mission. The whole idea of, like, why do you strive for bread that doesn't satisfy? Come, and there's an invitation to come and be part of his mission. Be part of his mission to call the nations, to summon the world, to invite, and to see the nations come running. Uh, there is great heart satisfaction in being part of God's mission, being part of what God is doing. And I just want to challenge you a little bit. If you're living your Christian life and you find that it's just continually not satisfying, I want to ask you, in your Christian life, are you part of the mission? So not just, not just coming to listen, which is really important. We just talked about that. Not just coming to worship, which is also wonderful, but part of the actual mission. There's this, there's this time when uh, Jesus was hungry, 
And the disciples were like, oh, Jesus is hungry. Let's go get him some food. And they go into town and they get him food. Meanwhile, Jesus has this conversation with a Samaritan woman talking about himself. Mission. He's doing mission. He's inviting people to himself. He's sharing the good news. Mission. And then the disciples come back and Jesus essentially says, oh, I already ate. I'm good. And they're like, what are you talking about? He's like, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Meaning, my soul is satisfied by taking part, by doing God's work. That satisfies my heart. That satisfies my soul. I encourage all of you, and I still encourage all of you, to volunteer, to be part. What we do on Wednesdays, Cheryl said, requires a lot of volunteers. You can still sign up, by the way. Go on the webpage and do that. But the idea is that inviting you to be part of it, to not just come and eat, to actually serve um, that is so satisfying. And for some of you, I should add this, it doesn't only mean like volunteering in the official way, but just coming and giving of yourself, um, talking to a stranger, sharing your struggles, praying for one another, being part of the mission satisfies our souls, seeing the nations come, calling them and seeing them come. It's splendor, it's life. Um, it's, it's one of the, the ways that he gives us life, is we have to lay down our own mission. We have our own private, personal missions that are not about God. That's part of what it means to be a sinner. We sacrifice that. And we say, yeah, maybe I still want that stuff. But Lord, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to trust you that you're going to take care of those, other, of those other wants and needs. All right, let's keep going. Get to verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my, are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Um, so here um, he's really saying much of the same things that, that we've already talked about as we looked at this verse, but the idea of seek the Lord while he may be found, and then in connecting with that is let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts, which is once again painting the picture of coming to God is turning to God and turning away from an old way, turning away from another way of living and say, you know what, God, I need you to save me because I don't know what I'm doing here. Okay, I think I know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I think that I know what's important in life, and I think that I have it all together. I've realized I don't. I realize you're higher than me. Your ways are higher than mine. I can't figure this out on my own. Something I've learned is that for people who are smart, humanly speaking, people who are smart, sometimes the hardest thing for them to get over to come to God is to realize they're not that smart. <laughs> Does that make sense? It's the truth. Sometimes the hardest thing for people who are smart to get over when they come to God is that God in heaven is so much smarter. Um, forsaking their ways simply means just turning to God and turning away from human pride that basically says we don't need him. We've got everything together. We've got everything figured out. Lord, we need you. Um, that's really what it's saying. Um, but then there's, there's something big. 
There's something more, and that's how the chapter closes. Verse 10 says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be the Lord's, this will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. So this is the oi, oi ve, to be shocked. To be shocked is God looks at a foolish, prideful, stubborn people that he has said, read, read all of Isaiah, whoa, 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 you guys are doing this? Whoa, whoa, whoa. You read all through all that, it's awful. Some of those woes are like people walking in hardness of heart, stubbornness, coldness, uh, oppressing one another, refusing to listen, people living as people often do. He sees all of it. And not only is he willing to forgive it all. That would be one thing. It's not just that he's willing to forgive it and let it go. But he's going to take those same people who have sinned against him, forgive them, and bless them, honor them, and give them riches. Who does that? Who says, I mean, that's what the scriptures say, is God has shown his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Meaning, if you read that in context, it says, while we were enemies of God. That's when he loved us. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said it this way. If you love people who love you, that counts for nothing because everyone does that. But if you want to be like God, love your enemies. Because that really is what makes God's ways higher than our ways. The love that he has for people who don't deserve it. If you want to be like God, love your enemies. And here what he's saying is, sinners, come to me. I'm going to give you so much. As the rain and the snow come down to heaven and don't return without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so it is my word goes out. And this is his word. His word is, if you open your ears, I'm in heaven, you're on earth, I'm smarter than you, you need me. If you're willing to turn to me and actually listen to what I have to say, my word is going to do what my word's going to do. And just as a seed will bring forth a tree and fruit, my word in your life is going to bring forth joy. It's going to bring forth satisfaction. If you will acknowledge I'm in heaven and you're on earth and you're going to listen to me, not only you, not only your life, but all creation. I mean, that's what you keep reading. Read the end of Isaiah. Read the end of the Bible. This thing about how um, the mountains are going to burst into song and the trees of the field will clap their hands, that's speaking about a transformed creation. And that's what we're headed towards. And those who will turn and listen to him, we will enjoy this forever. A new heavens and a new earth. Uh, the lion will lay down with the lamb. 
We've been talking about this in my household a lot lately. Things will be different. Uh, I don't really know how it's all going to work out. But we know in this world that's promised us, it's going to happen here. I remind people of that also because for many people, when they think about heaven, they think about just this ethereal place in the sky. No, that's, that's happening here. Uh, when Jesus returns and the dead are raised with transformed bodies, here, a physical reality uh, with a transformed creation that the lion will lay down with the lamb. There will be no more, no more bloodshed, even among animals. There will be no more tears, and there will be no more death, no more sorrow. There will be food. <laughs> it will be a feast. Um, a lot of what will take place, I don't know. But what I will say is, you're going to want to be there. But now, turn to him now, acknowledge he's in heaven and you're on earth. And we can begin to taste this now. And we taste it most when we come together as God's people. When we come together as the nations are gathered. When we come together and we share meals together and we fellowship. That's it's really the closest that we're going to get to experiencing this until we experience it in full. So, all right, Cheryl, come on up. I'm going to pray. Father God, when we pray our Father in heaven, Lord, let us truly understand that you are a Father. You love us. And let us also understand that you're in heaven and we're not. And you're above us and you're smarter than us. And help us draw near to you, Lord, with ears that are truly listening, Lord. Uh, we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in our question and answer time. So we have a number on the screen that if you want to text in a question, you can do that. And I will be able to read it. But if there are any questions in the room and you would like to just raise your hand, we have a mic running around. Um, and you'll be able to ask your question in person. So are there any questions in the room? Just raise your hand. Okay, while we're waiting you want to think about that. Um, I do have a question. Uh, it's not a question. It's a, it's a comment, but I thought it was nice. So I'll, we'll start with this. It says, Charlie mentioned that there is nothing in the world that is free. Well, we have all our welcome Wednesdays. <laughs> <laughs> we are a congregation who are, who are living out the life and nature of God. He gives freely, and so are we. Touche. So you got me. Yeah. That, that's right. That's exactly <laughs> what we're trying to do. That's, that's by, by uh, what does the scripture say? Freely you've uh, been given, freely freely receive, free you, I don't know. Freely you goes. receive. We have received, freely, freely we, give. we give. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is that yes, a... <laughs> by being welcoming and giving to others, we're communicating something about God. Uh, that's right. Okay, here's a, a question. I'd like to have a better understanding of how to fulfill God's mission for me. When I leave church today, how shall I go about my day slash my week? Keeping in mind all the responsibilities with a child, children, and work. I work in healthcare, and I make it my mission every Monday to Friday to show that, that kindness and love God shows us. But what else could I do to really follow God's path? What does it mean to live for God? It's a great question. There's so many things that you could say, so many specific applications you could apply, but I really think that the heart of a missionary starts with just that. It starts with the heart. Uh, we all have tasks, things we have to do on Monday, on Tuesday, or whatever, places we have to go. We can go with the heart of a missionary, and I really think it starts with this. It starts with saying, Lord, I'm yours. Yes, I have to go to work, Lord, 
but I'm not working for money. Lord, I have to go to work, but I'm not working for a promotion. Lord, I want to serve you. Help me be attentive to how you would use me. Use me by your spirit. Um, God has given us his Holy Spirit to guide us. That's really, really good news. God has given his Holy Spirit to guide us, but what he wants from us is that listening ear of being attentive. So I think it starts first and foremost with a heart shift that's listening. Because really, I think, I mean, one of the things that if you hang out with me, you hear me say like a broken record is that Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, you'll have. Whatever you ask according to my will, you're going to have it. So hear this. You start your day with, God, me today, guide me. Is that according to his will? Absolutely. Is God going to hear that and respond to that? Absolutely. Um, so I would say first, it's really just that. That mindset of, Lord, use me. I'm yours. All right, here is a related question. What do you mean by living for your children and not for God? They take a lot of time and energy, and I've seen Christian leaders justify their neglect of their children so that they could, quote, serve God. How can a Christian find the balance between responsibility and devotion to God? Isn't caring well for your children an act of worship and devotion to God? Great question. I'm glad that that was pointed out. So, yeah, I've heard about, like, times, like, in the past that missionaries would, like, send their kids to boarding school so they can go on the mission field. And, like, I'm not judging that, but honestly, it makes little sense to me. Uh, like, as if God is basically saying, like, oh, like, as if these are in contrast. Um, let me explain this more simple. When I say don't live for your children, live for God, that's a heart shift. It doesn't mean send your kids away and go serve at church. It doesn't mean that. I mean, there might be times where you do have to be like, okay, we're getting a babysitter because I have some ministry work I have to do. But primarily, it's a heart shift, meaning that God is first. And sometimes that will mean um, being with my kids, serving my kids, doing all those things. But it's with the heart shift that God is my first priority, God is my treasure, um, and not my children. Um, but a lot of times God has called us as parents to, you know, to, to help serve, raise our children. It's a big part of, of life. In the same way, like, I could say you need to live for God more than your job. And that doesn't mean that you don't go to work tomorrow, okay? Well, tomorrow you probably have the day off, or I do at least. I don't know. But it doesn't mean you don't go to work. You probably st should still go to work. But you're not going to work for the money in your heart in your heart, you're not doing it for the money. You're doing it because this is where God has called you and you're attentive that he has you living as a missionary to, to serve him wherever he sends you. So it's a heart shift. Yeah, I've heard a pastor say that his family is his first mission field. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are there any questions in the room? Okay, we do have one. existence of heaven and earth and the notion that the spirit of God dwells within us. Very, that's great. Um, so the great promise, the great promise that God has for the future here is the coming kingdom of God. 
the coming kingdom of God, and in the kingdom of God, there is no death, there is no decay, there is no tears, there is no death. The lion lays down with the lamb, the things we've talked about. And when Jesus returns, that will fully be here. It's a great question, and it's going to get answered more once we get to the your kingdom come, your will be done. But I want to say a little more about what's happening right now, um, which, which you also touched on. Now, has it begun? Has the kingdom of God arrived? In a sense, yes. When Jesus showed up, and he's casting out demons, and he's healing the blind, and he's doing miracles and such, what he said is, the kingdom of God has come upon you. As in, it's here now. Um, in, in another sense, it's not here yet. It's coming later. But there's another sense in which it's here now. And how is it here now primarily? How is the kingdom of God here now? The resurrection of the body that is coming later has begun now in the hearts of God's people. When we come to Jesus, our souls are resurrected. The kingdom of God has begun when, when people worship him in spirit and truth by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the kingdom of God at hand. That is the kingdom of God alive. That is the kingdom of God here. With hearts that worship him in spirit and truth. That is the kingdom of God. When families exhibit love rather than the dysfunction that so often rules us. That is the kingdom of God. When the nations gather together uh, and, and share a meal together and express love and, and devotion to one another, the church, that is the kingdom of God here at our, on earth. Um, so it is here. We're being transformed, but it's also coming. about what you said about smart people. So this is going to be the oh, one that no. encompasses. Okay, here we go. <laughs> you struck a chord. There we go. <laughs> There's some smart people here who are like, what? Um, how do smart people, quote unquote, recognize they have um, adopted a prideful spirit rather than a humble one, that they don't listen to anyone um, that they think is not as smart as, as them? And then the other question, oh no, that's, that's the smart people one. Okay. Yeah. Here's a verse that I think about um, so, I, I mean, I could talk about my own life here, about how I was uh, uh, once the, a prideful fool. Um, but there's a, a passage that says, uh, basically, God is speaking, and he's like, I'm not impressed with the strength of this or the strength of that or the power of this. I'm not impressed with any of that. But this is what pleases me. This is, this is the one whom I will look upon, the one who trembles at my word. What that means is God's word and what God says is supremely important. Here's, here's a sign. Here's a test. Has your thinking and your thoughts and your opinions ever been corrected by God's word? Because if not, you're doing your own thing. Okay? If God's word has not come in and corrected you in the meaning where you're like, well, I thought this was true. I thought this was good. I'm reading this here, and now I realize I was wrong. 
If you've never been corrected by God's word and being corrected by God's word is not a regular thing in your life, I fear you might be doing your own thing, okay? That might kind of be a test. All right, we're going to close with this question. Where is your mind during a heart shift? You wake up with the alarm and you have to get ready for the day. How do we start off? Do you start off by, by prayer? Or if you do all your morning responsibilities, does that mean you're, you're putting God on the back burner? Why do you got to ask me this question about mornings? Yeah. <laughs> Tell us how you feel about mornings, Charlie. <laughs> There's never been someone who hated mornings more than me. Good morning is an oxymoron. I wake up every morning feeling a reminder of the curse upon mankind, okay? I, just, I do. I, I wake up, and this is the only mental capacity I have in the morning. God help me, okay? You, you think it's funny. You think I'm exaggerating. I'm not, okay? It's God help me. A lot of times, I'll just, like, try to find a Bible verse, and it's just like I'm, look, I'm just, like, clinging, looking for something to cling to. But a lot of times, it's just like, God, help me. But you know what? We are, are, are strong when we're weak. Um, if you can wake up in the morning weak, if you can wake up in the morning saying, God, I need you, I mean, I feel like that is just, that's all of the Christian life just comes from us saying, God, I need you. Help me. Help me. Wake up in the morning and say, God, help me. It's not a bad way to start your day. Yeah, we've been talking as a staff about the Mary versus Martha thing and resting versus balancing rest with all of the stuff we have to do on a daily basis. And when you're waking up in the morning, um, make sure you're, you're doing what you need to do out of a heart posture of being with God, having, you know, spent time with God. If you don't get to pray and, and read your Bible in the morning, that's okay. If your heart posture is still, I'm relying on God, I need God. Um, but if you do get to do that, then that's great too. So. Okay, I'm gonna say one little thing. I don't know, the plan wasn't for me to say this now, but I'm gonna go ahead and do it anyways. Um, so Wednesdays, the food is free. Come, invite anyone, it's free. But with that being said, we actually still have to buy it. <laughs> um, so this is actually something to consider. Um, it is not a, a demand, it is not a requirement. But if you would consider um, giving additionally to the church what you might pay for for your meals, maybe once a month give maybe what you would pay for your family dinners, uh, you know, for that month, for whatever, on Wednesdays. Maybe you can even give for the people who aren't able to. If you're struggling financially, you can actually just come and eat, and that's totally fine. Um, but if you would like to, by faith, uh, generosity or whatever, give to help pay for those meals, um, that's just how this works. So.